Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's sermon comes from Hebrews 9:27 through 28. The word of God speaks to us. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that judgment comes, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is God's word to us. Be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. You guys can take a seat. Welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. It's great to worship with you guys today. It's awesome to have the kids in the room. We're glad that you guys are with us. Today uh, really is a big deal for our church, and it's a big deal for churches around the world that orient their worship around the historic church calendar. And we're not going to take a lot of time today. We're not going to be long. We're really just going to be in one verse that we'll spend most of our time in. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll uh, be out of here to spend time with our families. So uh, pray with me, and then we'll dive in. Father, we just remember now that this is your very word to us. You're speaking to us today. You have good news for us today. And I'm asking that you would give us the grace to hear it. I'm asking that you would give us the grace to slow down, take a breath, hear the word of God to us, and be encouraged. God, I'm just aware that there are people in the room today that really, truly do feel their longing, and they don't even know what to do with it. I feel some of that today. So today, would you meet us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us new hope? Would you lift our eyes up? God, we got our eyes all all over the place. We need our eyes to be lifted. This is a season that will easily turn us upside down and run us ragged if we don't pause and look to Jesus, our Savior, and remember what we're even doing. So help us, Jesus. Thank you that the kids get to be with us today. God, I'm grateful for a day that we can just be together as a family. Pray that you'd come and help us. Be with us. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we said, today is week one, week one of Advent, which I think for a lot of us uh, over, over our lifetimes have maybe just meant the run-up to Christmas, the build-up, uh, the time that you get those little calendars <laughs> and you pull one day off at a time and you get the candy that's inside. Uh, I don't know what it means to you, but I want uh, to say that uh, it, that's not nearly what all of Advent means. I'm excited about the next four weeks because I think that we're going to really see that it's much more than just the build-up, much more than just the run-up to Christmas. As we trace back through the history of the church, I think what we're going to see uh, through the medieval periods and, and further is that we would see that the church historically saw this Advent as a very intentional time with a very specific purpose in the way that that Lent is 40 days that prepare us, that lead us toward Good Friday and Easter, Advent is a season, a period, that is meant to prepare you and I for something else. 
This is a season of preparation. So to get to more of a full understanding of the season of Advent and to set us up for where we're going to be going for the next four weeks, I want to ask a question today to start our time. And maybe it feels like a dark question, but it's an honest question. And if we want to get to the fullness of joy that our faith offers us, I think it's a really important question that will take us somewhere more beautiful than we otherwise might be willing to go. And here's the question. How is it that we can do all the things that we've started to do this weekend? We're going out, we're buying pine trees and we're bringing them into our houses We're bringing the lights and the decorations out of the attic. We're setting everything up. We're stringing lights on our houses. We're getting dressed up to go to parties. We're spending all of our lunch breaks and our Saturdays for the next four or five weeks going out into the madness of shopping malls to buy gifts for people that we love. We're changing our Spotify stations to tell us it's the most wonderful time of the year. We're doing all that, and yet... Sometime after the 25th of December, in the next week or two after, all the lights are going to have to go down. All the decorations are going to be put back in the attic. I'm going to cut my my pine tree into pieces, and sometime in about early March, it's going to become part of my fire pit. How is it that we're okay with doing all this? Are we okay with, with having what our friends around us call the Christmas spirit, or is there actual lasting joy to be had. So if there is, I want to I dig into that. I want to find it with you. To take it a step darker and maybe a step more honest or deeper into what maybe nobody in the room wants to say or think, what if we do all this stuff and January comes and my heart still feels lonely? What if we get to January and I still feel bitter or sad or the prognosis for mom and dad don't get any better? Maybe the prognosis for a family member that's sick actually gets worse, or the economic downturn does not improve, or what if we get to the Christmas meal and we've got people that we love, parts of our family that aren't even around the table with us because there's conflict or there's painful things in our stories among us. Is it still worth celebrating? Maybe you can identify with a story like this. A few years ago, I pulled out all of the Christmas decorations out of the attic and out of the garage, and, uh, and I was ready to get on the roof. I had hymns in my heart, man. I was, I was ready. Like, I just, I felt the joy of Christmas. I was ready to herald joy to the world. I wanted to bring joy to my own family, and I wanted to string lights up so that the people that lived around me in my neighborhood would get to see what I believe, and, and I could herald good news of the gospel to our city. And about 45 minutes or an hour into it, there I am on the roof, and my lights are still tangled up, and I can't figure out why some of the bulbs won't work, and the temperature starts to drop, and the wind starts to pick up, and uh, it didn't take long, sometime in that 45 minutes or an hour, uh, the Christmas hymns that were in my heart started to get replaced with not-so-Christmassy words, (laughs) I started to say things under my breath. I started to say things out loud. I started to get frustrated. And for the rest of that afternoon, I just remember that the conversation between myself and with the Lord just turned into a talk about how is it possible that I can believe that true and lasting joy has come to the world in the form of a baby in a manger, so much that I want to string lights up on my house and I want to do all the decorations, but in the process of it, my heart goes dark. 
and I forget what it is that I'm even celebrating. And I forget so quickly. How is that possible? Now, hey, I, I bring all that up today. I start in that place, not because I want to depress you or ruin the start of your holidays. I'm not trying to Debbie Downer us today, but I don't believe that I'm the only one asking questions like that. I wonder if we could be authentic. I wonder if we could offer those things to God. I don't think I'm the only one asking those kinds of questions. And I'm aware that there are even people in the room today that would say, hey, the next month is, I just know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult for you. This is a tough time. And if that's where you're at today, I just want to say to you, I think there's some really good news to be had today and over the next few weeks. And hey, maybe you're a person that's like, actually, I love the season. I am ready for it. I'm here for it. Hey, I'm glad you're here. And I want to say to you, I think that that there are some ways that we can even help you step in more fully to the joy of this season. Last night, we were uh, watching the game. The commercial break comes on. And my wife, I was not really paying attention. My wife says to me, hey, you know, you know what I just found out? That all of the angst and all of the tension around our holidays can actually be solved if we just buy a Peloton bike. I was like, oh, really? It's that easy. Okay. Well, hey, what I want to say to you today is even deeper joy than buying a stationary bicycle that you put in your house and never use. There's true and lasting joy offered to us today. And I want us to look at it together. Hey, God is not afraid of your hard questions or mine. I think we can have the courage to ask the hardest questions of life because I believe in Jesus, we have our answer. And I believe today, if we allow ourselves to kind of feel some of that tension and ask some of those questions and step into the places of the dark, I think God is delighted in us coming to those places. And I think that's actually where Advent wants to invite us to step in and meet with us. Hey, when we feel all that is not right in the world, when we feel like, hey, things feel off, things feel dark, things in my own heart, things in the world, can I just say to you, you're not being inauthentic when you celebrate. You're not being inauthentic when you step into the season of Advent. You don't have to come into this Christmas season and go like, hey, I actually feel a bunch of stuff in my heart that just doesn't line up with celebration, and so I think what I have to do is just fake it. That's not what you have to do. Actually, when you feel longing, you're feeling the very thing that Advent is inviting you into. And this is a great opportunity for us to say, hey, God, things don't feel right, and I want to offer them to you. That's what we get to do. We get to start with the darkness that's inside of us and around us. We don't have to be afraid of it. Fleming Rutledge, an author, said something that I've been thinking about all week. She said, Advent begins in the dark begins in the dark. In the first place that I want us to remember the darkness that is part of our own story is the part that is behind us. So Advent is a season to look backward. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Advent is a season to look backward and remember that he has come for us. Here's verse 27 again, Hebrews 9. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, what we're getting in this verse is the text is telling us, Hey, make no mistake about it. There's coming a day where you're going to have to answer for your life. There will be a judgment. Verse 28, just as surely as that's true, verse 28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. So hey, just as true as it is that you're gonna have to give an account for your life, Jesus actually came to pay for your life, to bear the sins of many. Our word advent that we're talking about today 
is, uh, is a word that comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. And the idea here is that the people in a, in a town, the people in a city, the people under a king would wait for the return of the king when he had been away on a conquest or a battle, and they were waiting for the good news of victory. They would wait for him. They would wait for him to come back and share the celebration and to share the spoils of war. And what those people were doing in that time when they were waiting on the kings, they would wait in Advent. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. We had an enemy that had to be dealt with. Sin was our, was our enemy. High treason against God most high had been committed. The people of earth had said, hey, we want life on our own terms. And that had to be put right. And all throughout the biblical account of history, what you see, not just in the garden in the first turning away, but all throughout the Old Testament, what we see is the people of God would say, God, we, we love you. We really want your way. We really want your kingdom. We really want to obey you. And then they would turn and they would go, but also we want to do our own thing. We really want to go our own way. We really think we have some good ideas. And then God would pursue them. God would grab a hold of their heart and they'd come back and they'd go, oh God, we're sorry. We don't want our own way. We want the way of your kingdom. We want to trust you. We want to obey you. We want to follow you. And then they would start to turn away again. They'd go, actually, we have some really great ideas about building our own kingdom. And this was happening again and again throughout the first uh, several books of the Old Testament until you get to the Judges And what we see in the period of the judges is there's this refrain that it says again and again, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that feel familiar to anyone? So God would pursue them. They would run away. God would pursue them. They would turn back. They would run away. God would pursue them until finally God just gets really quiet. It's really quiet for 400 years. Quiet, silence. The period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years. And after all that time of waiting, longing, people of God were passing down these stories to each generation. There was less anticipation and more angst that maybe God would just stay silent. This is the place the people found themselves. This is the longing that we remember when we look backward. This is why we sing and we celebrate the most unlikely of rescues, a baby in a manger. There's all this silence, all this waiting, and finally, into the silence, finally, we get these beautiful words, the beginning of John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. Hey, Advent says to us, look backward. Feel the ache of these people. There was a deep ache of their souls, and we feel the same ache, don't we? Don't we have days where we go, God, we want the kingdom. We just, I just don't know if we want the king. I just don't know if we want to do everything that you have to say to us to do. God, we want the kingdom. Yes, we're sorry. We turn. We're ready to obey. But God, wait, I'm not sure that we really want the king. This is the ache that we feel. And we feel it in our longings, just as they did. We feel this this truth like, God, we've prayed. God, we've cried out. God, we've longed for years and things just haven't changed. We identify with these people when we lay our heads down to sleep at night on our pillows 
We feel the questions of life. We feel the darkness. We wake up in the middle of the night and we just go, God, where are you? Am I the only one that feels that way some, some nights? Wake up in the middle of the night and you go, just, I, God, I need to feel your nearness. Advent is the invitation to offer those places to God, not to numb the ache, but to name it and ask him to come again and again and again. This is when we normally start to question if God is even with us, if he's forgotten about us, if maybe he's turned his back on us. And the promise of the first advent is the song that we, you and I were just singing a few minutes ago, Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. He's with us. He's not left us. It's a promise. More than my eyes can see, more than my heart feels, God is with us. This is the promise of the first advent. I can't help but think about other times that God showed himself faithful when people cried out. There's this spot in Exodus that I've been thinking about this week, Exodus 2. It's verse 24 and 25. And what's happening is the people of Israel are in bondage. They're in slavery to Egypt. And they're feeling the heaviness. They're feeling all of the burden of their slavery. And finally, it says this, Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. In these beautiful words, it says, and God knew. He heard Israel and he saw them. He heard them. He knew. His eyes were turned towards them. Hey, if that's true about Israel, these people that were far from God, these people that only really knew about God through their fathers, if that's true about them, how much more is it true about you and I in Jesus? That he sees us, he knows us, he hears our cries. But these people in the Old Testament, they hadn't heard or seen God in 400 years. All hope completely seemed lost, but God saw and he knew. And when the night seemed the darkest, the dawn breaks in. That's what happened. That's what we remember when we look backward. He was offered once to bear the sons of many in Jesus. All of our issues may not feel resolved today, but our greatest need has truly been met, friends. This is true for us. So we look backward and we remember and we sing. We have these hymns that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So Advent is this season to look backward. We look backward, we identify with, we remember. But also, it's a season to look forward. We remember, we look forward, we remember. He didn't just come one time, he's coming again. This is, this is our verse. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save. So the text, it, it speaks plainly to us. And it says, hey, the coming of Jesus is not just good news for the part of our story that's behind us. There's actually something glorious for us in the part of our story that is still ahead of us, that we look forward to, that we wait on. The bombshell in this verse is just to tell us, just as surely as he came once to pay for our sin, just as surely as he did it once. He's coming again to rescue his people. He's coming back. 
This is a huge part of our story that we just forget to emphasize. Have you noticed? How often do you just, how often is your day just, just enlivened because you think, he's coming again? Hey, can I tell you, Christianity, without a time of offering our longing and our hope in the second coming of Christ, it's, it's like what, what C.S. Lewis calls in the Chronicles of Narnia, always winter but never Christmas. Do you know the story? The characters in the story, they find themselves in this place, Narnia, and it's dark and it's cold and it's icy and it feels like darkness and injustice are going to win the day. And what they know to be true is when Aslan, when the Christ figure, when the king comes, all of the ice and all the snow are going to start to melt and he's going he's gonna to lift the clouds of, of doom and gloom and he's going to rescue and they're going to be able to be alive This is what we have. This is a huge part of our story that we forget to emphasize. This is where we find ourselves too. When we only look backward, we're we're missing so much. It's like celebrating winter but never having the hope or expectation of Christmas. And my hope for us as a church, as a family, as friends, I hope, my hope and my prayer is that we get to Christmas Eve And here we are celebrating with one another, singing the songs, praying the prayers. And my hope would be that we would say to one another, it's Christmas Eve, my heart is full. Christ has come, but also he is coming again. He will come again. There are no asterisks in the the passage that we read. There's not a question in the language. He will come again. This is why we are people who have hope. This is core to our Christian faith. This is why we stand together on Sundays and we recite the creeds and we say, we believe that Jesus will come again for us. This is why we say these things. As surely as he came in the first advent, he will come in the second. And it's, it's not just Hebrews 9 that gives this to us. Let me give you a couple other places. God hints to us in the Old Testament. Isaiah 65 says, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And then we get into the gospels, John 14, we see Jesus actually uncovers more of this truth when he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. We wait for that day. And then we get to the very end of scripture, Revelation 22. This is the end of our Bibles. The very last thing that Jesus has to say to us. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming again soon. And the picture that we have is the church. Here's the words of Jesus. And they say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We're ready. Whenever you're ready, God, we're ready. The church responds. This is the expectation and belief of the church throughout time. This is the story that we stand in. This is the place that we find ourselves. And make no mistake, friends. Don't get it twisted. That day, that's a really good day for us. Uh, We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we know scripture tells us that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor can any heart comprehend what that day will look like. But what we do know is that for all who have put their faith in Jesus, this is a really good day. 
It says not to deal with sin, but to save. Did you catch that part? Hey, this is not the day that Christ comes back to expose all of your shame. This is not the day that Christ comes back to turn on, to flip on the jumbotron to show all of the sins that you've committed against God. That's not what this day is. This is not a day to be afraid of, but in Jesus, this is a really good day for us. Some of my favorite places that remind me, you can write this down as you go, it's gonna be on the screen, Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't know if you have a, a passage of scripture that like when life feels really upside down, you just go back to again and again. Second Corinthians 4 is that for me. Verse 16 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. Hey, scripture just told me that no matter what happens to me, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hurtful life becomes, whatever happens, it actually is light and momentary affliction that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hey, I love, the, I love the imagery there of like, hey, does life feel heavy sometimes? Does it ever feel like you're underneath the weight of something that just feels like, man, this is just, life is heavy. What, what Paul is telling us in this passage is there's coming a day for you where that weight gets lifted off and a new weight gets lowered down on you and it's the weight of the eternal glory of God and you're never gonna get out from underneath it. It's the only thing that you're ever gonna know again. The weight of God's glory. All I'm going to ever know is his presence. And I'm never going anywhere. <laughs> that's, that's good news for me. I need to remind myself of that. John 16, the words of Jesus himself, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hey, friends, these passages call to us where we find ourselves today. I don't know what it is for you. In the disquiet places of our lives, hey, maybe God comes and brings resolution to the places that feel like pain to you. Maybe, maybe he does. I pray that he does that, but maybe not. Maybe it's right now preparing us for the great day. Hey, to the lonely in the room, those longing for a spouse or those that have lost someone, maybe the pain of that will be resolved here on earth but maybe that's a prophetic angst for you that prepares you for the great day. Do you know that your pain is preparing you for something? We can, we can receive it and we can say, hey, God, in the middle of the pain, I know you're doing something. It is preparing you for, for the great day. Maybe there's a prophetic angst that we're supposed to carry, but the word of God speaks to us and says, but make no mistake, the great day is coming. Do you want to know where God is? He's near to the brokenhearted. This is good news for me. Hey, do you want to find God? Go to your friends that feel really brokenhearted. He's close to them. That's where he's going to be when you're looking for him. 
better than trite comforts or some kind of superficial reassurances to tell you that things are just going to be okay. We have something better. We have Jesus himself speaking loudly and clearly, behold, I am coming soon. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end, and I'm coming again. This is good news for us. This is our true hope. It's in this promise that we wait. We look forward and we believe. And in faith, we sing the second verse of the song. Oh, come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. So friends, we look backward. We remember the place that our older brothers and sisters found themselves and we look forward and we long for it and we look to the great day and the place that we will one day be with Jesus. But also, really briefly, look at the text one more time. It tells us exactly what we do in the meantime. Verse 28. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So friends, Advent is a season to look backward. It's a season to look forward. But also, Advent is a season to be present for those who eagerly wait. This is the place that we find ourselves today. This is what the early church fathers and theologians have called the already but the not yet. And the reason it's called already but not yet is because our victory has been secured in Jesus. We can be sure of it. We have victory in Jesus, but we've not yet stepped fully into his kingdom inaugurated. Hey, we like to use the language in Christian churches about being saved. This is actually saying that there's coming a day where we will be saved. Right now, we just have the promise of forgiveness, but we will be saved when Jesus shows up and he comes for us. We have the advent behind us. We have the advent ahead of us. And scripture tells us just as surely as we can believe the first time he came, he's coming again. And right now we live between the two. We live between the two. This is where we find ourselves. So it's like, it's like uh, young couples in our church that are expecting. I'll never forget um, when my wife and I were newlyweds, we were like 19 and 20. And we started to suspect, hey, I think we're pregnant with our first child and uh, our first daughter, Ashlyn. We go to the doctor and we're meeting with the doctor and he does the test and he comes back to us and he says, okay, and he's, you know, he's a doctor. He's just like speaking plainly. He goes, okay, the test was uh, faintly positive. Faintly positive. Like he looks up at us and he sees like our 19 and 20 year old confusion. Like, what does it mean? Faintly positive. And he laughs and he goes, oh, hey, make no mistake. You're not sort of pregnant. You're going to have a baby in nine months. So go home and prepare. <laughs> and that's what we did. We started to prepare. We started to prepare our hearts. We started to prepare our home. We started to prepare our family. We lived as though there was coming a day soon where we were going to enter a child into our family. Um, it, it's a lot like an engaged couple who's made commitments to one another, but the wedding day is still coming, you know? They've committed their love to one another. They know there's coming a day soon where they will be married. And until that day, they don't put a hold on loving one another, but their love and their affection actually grows. 
And the family builds in anticipation and they're present with one another and they're present with friends and with family in the waiting. This is where we find ourselves. We're in that period of time between where we're waiting. So hey, friends, what do we do? We eagerly wait. We're present with God and one another. We allow our affection for our king to grow and to build. We persevere when things feel hard. We carry one another's burdens. We live our lives in such a way that shows, hey, we believe Jesus is coming again. Johnny Erickson Tata says it like this in the place we find ourselves waiting. Every Christmas is still a turning of the page until Jesus returns. Every December 25th marks another year that draws us closer to the fulfillment of the ages that draws us closer to home. When we realize that Jesus is the answer to our deepest longing, even Christmas longings, each Advent brings us closer to his glorious return to earth. When we see him as he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, that will be Christmas indeed. So friends, we long with hope. We eagerly wait, full of faith, present where we are until the great day we sing together, oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death, dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel.